Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live.
And good morning, this is the other morning gospel program. One Inspirations here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Like your Christ and disciples, I, I come that you might have life. Um, one scripture is coming from Gospel according to St. John. John, the 8th chapter, verses. Verses 1 through 12. Jesus went 
unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken into adultery. When they had 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 set her in the in in the middle in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law command us that such should be stoned, but what thou what sayest thou? This they said took to him that they might have accused him. Jesus stooped down with the with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. When they continued asking him, he looked up himself and said unto, unto them, He that is without sin among you, let, them, let him first cast a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, they heard it, being convicted by their by their own conscience. Now, one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus had lifted up himself and said, and saw. None but the woman. Then to her woman, where are those that accuse have gone? Uh, I'm sorry. Where are those that have accused have no man of condemnity? That she no man, no man. Amen, Lord. And Jesus said unto, him, unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spoke Jesus, said unto, unto them, saying, Go and sin no more. Read to you the Gospel of St. John 8, chapter, verses 1 through 11. Word of God, for the people of God. Good morning. Please do pardon me. You know how it is when you first get up in the morning. Please pray for me.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Good morning. This is the Morning Gospel Program. Morning Inspirations. You'll talk to you again radio. It's now time for our morning prayer. Let's go to the throne of grace. Dear Father God, I come before you this morning. Let you know how grateful we are for all the many blessings you still bestow upon us. Waking us up early this morning. In our way, give us life. Let us see another day. Thank you. So we, we say thank you for being God, being our Father. Thank you. Dear Lord, we come before you humbly as we can. 
Wisdom Online is up next. Stay tuned. We'll be back at the top of the hour. This is one inspiration. Your Sunday morning. Good morning.
1855, the month was May, an 18-year-old approached the deacons of the church in Boston where he attended, and he applied for membership. We have suggested that it's hard to join this church, nothing like a hundred or so years ago, and he was, after being interviewed by the deacons, turned down. He was turned down because they did not believe he had a firm enough understanding of the work of Christ in his own life, and he was put on a year instruction. And if he would submit to that year of instruction, this uneducated young man would ultimately have another chance at an interview and perhaps be allowed to join. He, according to the record, barely made it the second time around. In fact, the man that led him to the Lord had this to say about D.L. Moody. I can truly say that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than his when he came into my Sunday school class, and I think the committee of the church seldom met an applicant for membership, so says, who seemed more unlikely to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill any space of public or extended usefulness. It is always a thrill to me to see how God often chooses to use an underdog. As I read and reflected over the story of Gideon, as I've mulled and meditated on these three chapters that include for us the longest story of any judge in this book. It became very apparent to me that what I was reading was the simple biography of a very ordinary Christian. A very ordinary man who would be used in an extraordinary way, but yet had, like D.L. Moody, few of the qualifications, limited understanding. In fact, Gideon, of all the people we will study in this book, seemed to be so slow to get it seemed that he was, in a, in a way, almost thick-headed. You remember well the story of the fleece, and we'll discover that entire story. But as I was reading, it was just clear to me that Gideon represents what you and I are, just simple, ordinary believers. I sometimes find it very difficult to grasp even the simplest truth of this book. Let's pick up the story in chapter 6, verse 8. Here's what happens, just as you find your spot there. Israel is tried out for deliverance. You know the story, the cycle of sin. They've fallen back into sin. Deborah had died. A new generation rises up and knows not the works of God through her, his prophet uh, Deborah. And so they ultimately fall into sin, and they are oppressed by the Midianites. We're not going to go in the first part of this chapter, but let me just catch you up. The Midianites were different than any other enemy in that instead of inhabiting the land, they would wait until harvest time, and then they would attack. And they would take all of the produce, all of the fruit, and they would load up their camels, and, they, and then they would go back over the Jordan where they would wait until the next year. And just like income tax, every year, for seven years, the Midianites came, and so Israelites were faced with famine, nothing to eat. Pick it up with verse 8. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, here's the prophet preaching, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. This is the first time God responds this way. Every time the Israelites prior to this called out for deliverance, God raised up a judge. On this one occasion, when they cried out for deliverance, God sent them a prophet first. And the prophet came and preached to them a message, and the conclusion is, you have not obeyed me. Not a very nice sermon. 
But I think what's happening here is that God wants them to understand why they are in this predicament. So the prophet comes to them and preaches as to why they have landed in slavery to the Midianites. God wants them, rather than escaping from their circumstances, to first interpret their circumstances. Ladies and gentlemen, he does the same for you and me. Sometimes we want relief. God wants us to gain insight as to why we're in the predicament that we are in. But evidently, they listen to the prophet because after this, God sets in motion the wheels of deliverance, and we have here the call of Gideon. And I've divided for our study this morning the call of Gideon, or basically this chapter, into three scenes. Scene one is an angelic visitation beginning in verse 11. Note that with me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Now let me set the scene for you. The usual old-time eastern threshing floor was a, an, an exposed place with a wooden floor right next to the field where they would gather their crops. The threshing was done this way. Uh, an oxen would pull a large stone slab or wheel, and the farmer would stand on top of the slab as it drug across that wheat until finally the kernels were, were separated from the chaff. It was out in the open. What we find here is Gideon threshing where? In the wine press. So what he has done is he has gathered his wheat, He's gathered those stalks, and he's gone over to the wine press, which was hidden, and it had a little recess. And he's hiding down in there with a stick, not a sledge, and he's beating the stalk, separating it from the chaff. Now, it's at that very moment that an angel appears, the angel of the Lord. Look at verse 12. He appears to this middle-aged man by the name of Gideon, and he says, The Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Gideon probably, you know, looked around a little bit, and he said, are you talking to me? Here's a man hiding from the Midianites, trying to gather just enough food to feed his family. And the angel of the Lord says, oh, Gideon, oh, valiant warrior. Now, you need to understand before we read any further that Gideon doesn't know who he's talking to, but we do. This is the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. This is a theophany. This is a, a, a physical manifestation of God. I think we can make an argument that this is probably the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. As throughout the Old Testament, Jesus Christ referred to as the angel of the Lord appeared and gave direction to men who did not have what you and I have, nor did they have the Spirit of God like you and I have. Well, the Lord said to him in verse 14, which lets us know as well that this is not just some angel, but this is, in effect, a theophany. So Gideon responds to this angel of the Lord in verse 13 with a barrage of questions. Oh, my Lord! If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where, where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. In other words, where is God? He's sitting right there, by the way. Where are all God's miracles? He has abandoned us. And he's sitting right there. Now, what comes out of this conversation, at least to me, are two phenomenal truths about how God treats his children. Number one. God never answers Gideon's questions that he just posed in verse 13. No answers are given to the question, why? Why is life so hard? Why has God seemingly abandoned us? God, in effect, just kind of ignores that. And look what he does say in verse 14. And the Lord, not an angel, but, and the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. What is this? 
do want you to know that I'm with you. That, by the way, is the promise that you can take through life. It doesn't answer all of the details. It doesn't take care of all of the problems. But it is a promise that wherever you are as a Gideon, that God says, I am with you. And by the way, that is enough. Secondly, God refers to Gideon not as he is, but what he will become. Thou mighty man of valor. That's what God had in mind for Gideon. He does that throughout the Old Testament. He says to Abram, he says, Abram, who is childless, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. And Abraham, this old gentleman, probably laughed to himself. He did that through Christ to, to Peter. You remember his name was Simon. He changed it to Petra. Little rock, you are firm. You are unshakable. You are strong. Peter, well, he sounded that way when he told Jesus, Lord, I will follow you to the death. Less than 24 hours later, a little servant girl says, hey, you're, you're one of those disciples, aren't you? And he says, me? No way. Is that a rock? Guess what he calls you and I. You ready for this? Saint. You ever thought about the fact that God calls you a saint? But God deals with us like he dealt with him. He sees us for what he is making us, unnecessarily for what we are at this very moment. So he knows Gideon is no Richard the Lionheart, but he says, Oh, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor, and that is in effect a promise. I'm going to make you that way, if you will submit to me. Now, in verses 17 to 19 of that chapter, Gideon asks for a sign, and he prepares a meal. Let's pick it up with verse 20. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Now remember, this is famine conditions. Gideon has prepared a goat. He's prepared soup. He's prepared bread. And he's going to honor this guest, although he still doesn't know who he is. And the, the guest says, Just put it on this rock out here where I can, I can look at it. Now verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Wow. It's at this point that Gideon realizes the identity of his visitor, and he's filled with fear. In fact, the next verse will tell us he's afraid he's going to die. Why? Because he says, I have seen God. Now, throughout the Old Testament, Abraham, Joshua, and many others have seen the visible manifestation of God, probably through the pre-incarnate Christ, and they have not died. So maybe it's something else. Let me suggest this, that Gideon was a very humble man. And his response was much like Isaiah's after seeing the glory of God, as he says, oh, woe is me, for I am ruined. Let me suggest that a direct encounter with the holiness or the power of God leaves you and me with a sense of our unworthiness, if not our sinfulness. We talk a lot today about self-esteem. There's a lot going on about feeling good about yourself. Yet I find people in the scriptures who come into an encounter with God's holiness and they are overwhelmed with their sinfulness. And like the prophet, they or we declare there is in my flesh no good thing. I believe that true self-esteem comes from this passage. First, a recognition of God's holiness. And because of that, a recognition of our sinfulness. And then taking one step further into God's graciousness. 
and recognizing that he has chosen to deal with us and to give us worth and value. Self-esteem apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ is impossible. It will lead to frustration. And I think the balance between God's holiness and our sinfulness and in the middle is his grace will keep us from self-flagellation and introspection and how wormy we are, and yet it will also keep us from bloating up with spiritual pride. And I think that's exactly where Gideon was. He was introduced to his God and who he was. Now look what happens in verse 24, the same thing that will happen in our lives as well. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, following this encounter with the holiness of God, a recognition of his sinfulness, and God's gracious statement that I am with you leads Gideon to worship. So as the curtain closes on scene one, the setting is worship. Scene two opens with verse 25. Let's pick it up there, because it happens that very same night as God speaks to Gideon and begins the process now of making him into more of a leader that he will become. Verse 25, now the same night, it came about that the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, which by the way, I think represents the seven years of enslavement to the Midianites, and pull down the altar of Baal with that older bull, belongs to your father. And cut down the Asherah, which is beside it. That was kind of like a totem pole. This is a, a wooden uh, idol to the, the goddess of immorality that was supposedly Baal's cohort. Verse 26. And build an altar on the same spot there to the Lord, your God, on, on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take that second bull, the seven-year-old, and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah. That's now firewood, which you shall cut down. I like to refer to this event as the Alamo of Gideon's faith. Having spent some time in Texas, everybody knows who's come out of there, a little bit of Texas history, and I'm sure you've heard about the Alamo as well. 1836, the Alamo was actually a little mission church. But it became the spot for some very interesting events in the life and history of Texas, because Texas had declared itself independent from Mexico. Mexico responded by sending an army of 3,000 soldiers to take care of the problem. Inside the Alamo, or this little church, was a little group of men who were sort of the signers of this Declaration of Independence, among them men like Davy Crockett that we have read about. Colonel uh, Travis, at one point, drew a line with his sword in the dirt floor of the Alamo, and he turned to this small band of men who could either run or surrender or fight, and he said, all those who will fight, step across this line, and all but one stepped across the line, and all but one died. But their courage so ignited that little nation that, remember the Alamo, became the battle cry as Texas won its independence. I have a feeling that this is exactly the kind of event in Gideon's life. Will you follow me? If you do, here's the line. It's in your backyard. It's your father's idol. I want you to tear it down, but if you step over that line and obey me, there is no turning back. This is the Alamo. So how does Gideon respond? Well, he starts in his own backyard by obeying. And I think before we go any further, there's a personal application here, men and women, that none of us can be useful to God in public service before we are useful to him in private service. Gideon will start with his own family. Gideon will start in his own yard before he starts anything with the nation. You cannot, and this perhaps is a subtle implication here, serve the altar of Baal. You cannot have that in your family 
in your backyard and at the same time have the altar to the true God. You can't limp between the two. Gideon, if you will follow me, take care of the idolatry in your home. Can I be like Augustine, who is the young man? That philosopher prayed, oh, God, grant me chastity. But not yet. We cannot be indecisive. It is Baal or God. Now, God cannot tolerate Baal. Baal may tolerate God, but it cannot be the other way around. So in many ways, God was asking Gideon to fight the most difficult battle first. Look at verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And it came about because he was too afraid of his father's household, notice that, and the men of the city to do it by day, that he did it by night. Two quick points. Number one, faith is not demonstrated by fearlessness. God did not supernaturally remove from Gideon all the fears as Gideon says, yes, I'll take that step across the line. Oh, I feel great. I can do it. I've been watching the Winter Olympics. Every time an American steps on the scene, I'm on the edge of my seat going, go get those, you know, Germans, whoever. I don't know this American from Adam, but it's interesting with the onslaught of television that they're all being highlighted now. You notice that big stories about these people's lives? And they're being interviewed. In fact, these people are being interviewed right up to the very moment of competition. Here's a guy getting ready to go down, you know, got his skis all strapped on, and some reporter sticks a microphone in his face. How do you feel? <laughs> you know, it's interesting is all these people that I have watched say, I feel great. I can do it. You know, I kind of thought to myself, what would happen if a reporter caught Gideon right about that moment? Just as he's beginning to do this historic event. Gideon, how do you feel? I understand you're God's man for the job. Well, I'm kind of scared, actually. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I'm going to set some police out. I'm not sure God called the right man. Oh, well, you're humble. Um, tell us, what, what's the battle strategy here uh, as you take on this altar of Baal? What, what's your plan? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to slip out during the night so nobody can see me, and, and I hope to finish up before anybody uh, wakes up. I could hear right about then. Cut. <laughs> I thought I was interviewing a hero. But he sent me this chicken. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, just like Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 2, it is ministry there to the church. He says, I was with you in much weakness. I was with you in trembling. I was with you in fear. Faith, secondly, is demonstrated by obedience. You don't have to come to the point where you can say, okay, I have great faith, God, now, quick, before it goes away, use me. Demonstrated by simple obedience, whatever your attitude or your emotions may be. God isn't calling fearless people, he is calling faithful people. And you need to understand when you look at this passage that God is asking getting into do a very difficult thing. Before I studied the life of this man, I thought facing the Midianites with 300 men was difficult. Now I don't think that was anywhere near as difficult as Gideon going out to the backyard where his father, who was the shrine keeper of the altar of Baal, kept the altar. Gideon was going to cut it down. He was going to expose the idolatry in his family. He was going to cause an indictment to fall on the nation for having followed Baal. Don't blame him for going out in the middle of the night. In fact, it would be kind of like a Christian in Salt Lake City, Utah, bulldozing the tabernacle and erecting in its place a huge cross you can understand a little bit of the significance. Three things now happen because of Gideon's obedience. Number one, 
I'll give it to you first, and then we'll read the passage. The entire city is ignited with anger. Verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, or look, see, they'd come out for their devotion. The altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down, and the second bull had been offered on the altar which had been built. And they said to one another, Who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal. Note, ladies and gentlemen, who is speaking? Midianites or Jews? Jews! Who took down the altar of Baal? Let's find this man and kill him! Or to feel what Gideon was up again. The entire city wanted to take his life. And this gives us a little bit of inclination, ladies and gentlemen, about the depth of apostasy. Second thing that happened. The father of Gideon is moved to courage. Look at verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you deliver Baal? Whoever will plead for Baal or him shall be put to death by morning. If he, Baal, is a god, let him contend for himself because someone has torn down his altar. Interesting. Joash, there at that moment, stops being the shrine keeper and in effect says, wait a second, move by courage. If Baal is really a god, let him take care of my son. But if he isn't, then we've got another problem on our hands. We've been following a wooden stump. I think Joash at this point was convicted and challenged, perhaps even shamed, by the courage of his son. A man who had allowed idolatry to invade his home and in fact kept the shrine where all the men of the city worshipped. He was shamed by his son. Those of you who have had children, those of you who have small children now know what it's like to be shamed by the words of your children. Family night, Six-year-old boys, a little four-year-old daughter went out. We got back really late, and it was way past her bedtime. Marcia was tired, and I was tired. The kids weren't. <laughs> we finally got through the process of, you know, brushing their teeth, getting on their pajamas, and typically in the evenings we, we will read. I'll read them a Bible story, and we will pray, and it was late, tired. I said, okay, kids, let's hit the bed. Let's go. And... A little four-year-old daughter says, Daddy, are we going to have commotion? <laughs> Which is really an accurate title for devotion, because there's a lot of commotion going on during devotion. I said, no, 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 it's, it's late. I'll, I'll pray with you. Let's go. Come on up. Let's, let's hit the bed. At that moment, one of my sons looked at me, and he said, Daddy, that doesn't please the Lord. <laughs> One preacher in the house is enough. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man, was I ashamed. Here Gideon is doing what his dad should have done a long time ago. At that moment, however, his dad steps forward and he defends his son, and I'm glad to see Gideon and Joash walking off arm in arm following God. This leads to the third thing that happened as a result, and that is that Gideon's reputation now is established as a leader. Father Joash gives Gideon a nickname, as a matter of fact, which will serve sort of as the battle cry. You look at verse 32. 
Therefore, on that day, he, his father, named him Jerob Baal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he has torn down his altar. The nickname could be literally translated Baal Fighter. Baal Conqueror. Now, just a, a day or so earlier, here is this man, middle-aged man, teenage son, hiding in the wine press, hitting weed with a stick in fear, disillusioned. Where is God now? Because of what God has done, not Gideon. Gideon has been submissive. He is now over here called, that's Gideon. Oh, no, no, no. We got a new name for him. Bail fighter. Scene three, verse 34. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers through Manasseh, and they also were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers through Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. There is a movement going on now in the nation. They're going to take on the Midianites. The text informs us, though, at this point, that the Holy Spirit, you notice the first phrase, came upon Gideon. I got ten minutes worth of stuff here. We're out of time. But let me just, as fast as I can, rush through here. We need to understand the difference between the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. What this could literally be uh, translated as is the Spirit of God clothed himself with Gideon. Let me explain the difference, and this will, by the way, clear up a lot of other things that happen as you read your Old Testament. Number one, in the Old Testament, the Spirit did not indwell all Old Testament believers. But in the New Testament... The Spirit of God indwells every believer. Secondly, in the Old Testament, indwelling was for a specific purpose, like for special events. The Spirit of God could come upon Saul, and he could leave Saul. The Spirit of God could come upon Samson, and he could leave Samson. We don't have that happening in the New Testament. If you have the Spirit of God, you have him forever, according to John chapter 14. In the New Testament, indwelling then is comprehensive. That is just for ordinary life, not just special projects. Third, indwelling in the Old Testament was limited in time. You could translate indwelling overwhelming, anointing. But in the New Testament, indwelling is permanent. Now, that's all we're going to spend there on that. But the Spirit, it says, came upon Gideon. That is, he clothed himself with Gideon. Beautiful phrase. In other words, the Spirit of God treated Gideon as if Gideon were a suit of clothes. If there is any similarity at all, it is in this, that the Spirit of God wants to use us as his vehicle to walk through life. We are the clothing. The Spirit of God does the living. And the key to understanding the indwelling of the Spirit of God is sort of to understand clothing. The submission of the clothing to the wearer is all that's necessary. What I got up this morning to get ready, there's the blue suit, the white shirt, can't go wrong there. I put it on. If my hand does this, it's not saying, oh, it's a lot more comfortable if you do this, if it could talk. I'm going to take off this shirt tonight, and I'm going to send it to the dry cleaners, fortunately, and it's not going to say, oh, no, please, hot water, can't take it. I'd rather be wrinkled. We are, in a sense, the clothing of the Spirit of God. The Spirit goes this way. Oh, no, 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 this way. God says, speak. No, be quiet. 
key to the indwelling of the Spirit in the, in the New Testament, like this with Gideon, is that the Spirit of God lives within us, and we do his bidding like we are his suit of clothes. Howie Hendricks would often tell us he'd pray every morning, God, I just want to be your suit of clothing for you to walk through, do what you want to do today. Maybe he got it from here. Let me summarize. Three scenes, three key events that prepared Gideon for phase two. Number one, Gideon was confronted with the presence of God and he worshipped. Number two, Gideon was challenged with the idolatry of his people and he obeyed. Number three, Gideon was overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and he submitted. Now for all of us who, like Gideon, are just ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christians, God can do something unusual, give us power to take him through the daily events of life if we will recognize his holiness, our sinfulness, we'll draw us to worship. If when he challenges us to speak, we will speak. Be silent, we will be silent. When his spirit bathes us move, we will, like a suit of clothing, say, you just tell me which way. I'll be glad to go. So God can give our story to others. Biography of ordinary believers who like Gideon have experienced these things and have allowed God to have his say to work his will. We look forward, Lord, to seeing in the future what you will do, Lord willing, in this man's life. May we evidence the same things as the scenes of our week developed. May we respond like this man. By your grace.
Hey, churchgoers, looking for the little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspiration and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Thank you. 
tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, tonight at, at 8 o'clock, it's Nation Talk, your talk show, and Jam Radio. I know a
if you lost your husband from cancer, lost your ability to run or even walk, well, friend, the greatest good your loss will gain you is an increased reliance on God as well as an increased capacity in your soul for him. In your loss, you will only find a greater gain, the goodness of God through his grace.
protect yourself from becoming the victim of a pack robbery. Avoid groups that are loitering or hanging out. Plan a safe, well-traveled route. Avoid desolate or poorly lighted areas. Be aware of your surroundings and the people around you. Don't be afraid to cross the street or avoid an oncoming group. Trust your instincts if you feel unsafe. To learn more about protecting yourself from pack robberies, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Amanda, age 3. Tyler, age 8. Marissa, age 4 and a half. We could tell you just how many child abductions last year led to Amber Alerts. Shaniqua, age 14. Ryan, age 9. But this isn't about cold statistics. It's about saving kids. Terrell and Jamal, age 6 months. Please go to wirelessamberalerts.org. Sign up to get free Amber Alert text messages on your cell phone. When an Amber Alert is issued in the areas you've chosen, you'll receive a free text message. If you spot the vehicle, the suspect, or the child described in the alert, call 911. Sign up today for free at wirelessamberalerts.org. You can imagine what the family of an abducted child is feeling. Alexander, age 7. If you actually did help save that child, just imagine what that would feel like. Wirelessamberalerts.org. A child is calling for help. This message brought to you by the Wireless Foundation, the U.S. Department of Justice, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and the Ad Council. And now for the weather. Today's weather brought to you by the American Stroke Association. All across America, it's a clear, beautiful day with temperatures in the 70s and not a drop of rain forecasted. However, it seems African Americans can expect a chance of rain. Oh, and a chance of hail, a chance of multiple Class 5 tornadoes. And if that's not enough, watch out. A chance of a freak meteor shower later this afternoon. The odds are it's going to be very dangerous out there. It's called the odds. And the odds are African Americans suffer almost twice the risk of having a stroke as white Americans. But the forecast doesn't have to be so gloomy. There are steps you can take to help beat the odds. Start by calling one 888 Stroke. Or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hey, churchgoers. Looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspiration and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day 
By the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I stay thankful for the things you've done for me. Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love to me. The voices of a million Never hope to be. I owe it all to thee.
once again, thank you for listening and tuning in and downloading us on your Sunday morning gospel program, Morning Inspirations. Join me tonight, 8 p.m. for Nation Talk. Tonight, tonight, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Talk to You and Jam Radio. Have a good one. God bless you. See you at Church New You.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.